Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. This is my super summary of games 9 and 10 of the 2021 World Chess Championship. I'm your host, as always, David Visgon, live from Copenhagen, Denmark. Fellas, this has been a tricky and uh, turbulent match for a certain someone, and um, I guess we'll get right into it. First of all, I want to thank my sponsor, as always, Aim Chess. Uh, you can use code david 30 at checkout to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess. Go check them out. They have a yearly recap. Um, if you want to just sample your games and the kind of analytics you could get, um, I use it for my own chess improvement. It's great, and uh, I'm grateful for them to be a continuous sponsor of my show. And uh, if you like what you've been hearing, whether it's the interviews or these uh, recaps that I've been doing, these like 30-minute recaps, uh, check out my Patreon. Um, for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can support the work that I do, you know, the editing, the organizing, the even the music. So... Um, patreon.com slash 64 podcast the link is in the description and uh, I guess we'll just get right into it because um, you know we only got two games to cover and um, I have games 9 and 10 out in front of me right now and again like I've tried to be throughout this whole uh, super summary thing I'm not going to try to get too technical but I want to talk more about the ideas and the, the psychology so if you're living under a rock um, Nepo is down 2-0 uh, going into game nine, and uh, this is kind of an inter- insurmountable loss. Um, like, it's not an insurmountable loss, it's like an insurmountable uh, gap. You know, to beat Magnus twice in a year would be considered an achievement, and now Nepo has to do it twice in a match uh, of like three weeks. So he has a real task in front of him, and um, Circuit Karyakin was flown in after the game eight loss. This is which I talked about in the last recap. He had this horrible blunder with B5 and, and just kind of got positionally crushed. Uh, Magnus just played like an engine for the rest of the game. Um, so Sergei Karyakin, who actually went into the tie breaks with Magnus in 2016 in New York. Um, he was a World Chess Championship challenger in 2016, as some of you know. Also Russian. Um, he was apparently in Dubai at the start of the match. Then he went home. And then he was flown back after game eight, uh, basically to give his friend uh, Nepo some support and some advice and maybe to help him with opening and stuff like that. I don't know if he was a second per se, but in any case, he's back in Dubai now, uh, I think for the rest of the match. Uh, and he looked pretty, pretty jovial. He looked like he's pretty smiley. So he seems to be in good spirits. I, I hope that in Nepo's camp, you know, the there's still a lot of camaraderie and, you know, at least that they're making him feel okay because um, he, he's been having a rough go at it, to say the least. Um, and also another thing to note is that Nepo shaved his, uh, man bun, his signature man bun, which has been, you know, his calling card for years in the chess world. Um, everybody's known Nepo for the man bun shaved off. So, um, yeah. So basically people were curious, what is Nepo going to play? What's his strategy going to be? He's down to zero. He has like, uh, you know, six games basically, uh, to get two points and go a rapid, um, you know, to win two games would be Herculean feat. To actually win in classical basically is impossible at this point. So Nepo actually, he decided to go for C4. And um, I think for all chess players, this is very instructive because obviously at the grandmaster level, there's theory for everything. You know, for example, like my coach, I'll, I'll show him some like garbage opening that I've come up with. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this game and this idea, da 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 da, da. Um, And somehow he'll, he'll know, even if I just think I'm a genius. Um, GMs know a lot about chess, which makes sense. Uh, and super grandmasters especially. So, you know, there is a lot of theory. But, but generally speaking, when you play C4, you're kind of saying with uh, the white pieces that 
you're immediately looking for imbalances, but you also don't want to play too much theory. You kind of just want to play chess against your opponent. Typically, there's a lot of fianchetto kind of stuff. You're playing on the center, playing on the wing a little bit. Very flexible. A lot of ideas. Um, it's definitely not as much of a theoretical uh, landmine as like e4 or d4, where you really need to know at this level like what you're going to be playing. Magnus responds with e6. Very common response. It's called the Agincourt defense. Um, I saw a tweet, you know, that like there have been surprises in the Agincourt before. Refer- this referring to like some history, if you're a history buff, like the Battle of Agincourt. Uh, and like I said, there is some fianchetto structure. And I mean, the opening itself, um, maybe the grandmasters or whatever find it very interesting. I just thought that what we basically saw was some sort of like reverse Benoni, early d4 pushed by Magnus, which I think was surprising, but he clearly must have prepared that. Um, and then after some more moves, we got this position after about move 14. That was actually analyzed by engines after Magnus played like knight g4, bishop c5, a lot of these moves. Um, yeah, there, there, was some, there were some games that have been played in this position before. Um, for example, I think after move 11, there was one game by like two like Fide Masters in 2020. Um, and then Magnus played this move a4, followed two moves later by a3. And um, there's a lot of discussion about this. Um, because Nepo was supposed to play b4, which is going to create a huge center, and then there's this big, crazy engine line. Um, and at that point, before after a3, which Magnus played, people are saying it was an inaccuracy. Sam Shantley called it a mistake, even, uh, in his Game of the Day analysis. So Magnus, you know, after having these these great games, actually, again, Nepo had some like real opportunities to, to go for chances. But Nepo's strategy in this game, um, unlike other games, was really just to put Magnus in time trouble. And at that point, after a3 was played on move 14, uh, Nepo was up by like 30 minutes. And uh, I think his, his strategy was to play really instinctively, try to get some decent position, um, and hope that Magnus in time trouble will make some mistakes that he can capitalize on. Because Nepo, you know, he has some victories um, that are just uh, like astonishing. Like he has this one amazing game um, against uh, Nisipianu in the Petrov, actually. And Nispiano spent like, I think, 80 minutes on his clock, and Nepo is basically playing rapid. So Nepo is known for being extremely fast player. Um, and in this game, you know, we had uh, in game 9, instead he took on a3, and uh, Engine said this was a complete equality. But again, I think the whole point at this point was to put Magnus in time trouble. And this is kind of what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk too much about the lines, except the Engine basically said this is pretty much even, 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 even. But I'll tell you, looking at the game, at one point, Magnus was very low on the clock. Um, he was something like, he had something like 20 minutes, and Nepo had about an hour. And the game kept going, and I think we got to some position, basically, where Nepo had slightly worse pawn structure. Um, and uh, Magnus had a nice outpost on, uh, on g4 for his knight. But Magnus had 17 moves to make 15 minutes in a position that it still had a lot of play, and Nepo had an hour. And so Nepo, I think his strategy was make a move, go back to the waiting room, make a move, go back to the waiting room, just try to create all these little problems for Magnus to solve. Um, and this is where what some people are calling maybe like the worst move in world championship history, at least in the last 100 years. I mean, there's been like, uh, I think there's the Steinitz match where he blundered mate. Um, I forget against who, but this is like in the 1890s. So in, in modern World Chess Championship history, people are calling this move like one of the biggest blunders ever, um, which is this move C5. 
And um, again, if you're living under a rock, if you're a chess fan and you haven't heard about this move, then I'll just tell you. Um, it was kind of shocking because I was watching this with, uh, with, with my friend and, you know, we were talking about some of the moves, like what, what kind of chances does Nebo have? And suddenly with, uh, with C5, in fact, I wasn't looking at it with an engine. So I just remember thinking, hmm, that's a little weird. Um, I actually, you know, for the rest of the matches, although I don't think there's that much intrigue anymore, but Vichy Anand actually, he predicted that this move could happen and he didn't have an engine on him. So he was, like, very worried about it. A lot of the analysis, whether it's Hikaru or, you know, um, the Chess24 broadcast or obviously the Chess.com broadcast, they all have the engines. So that kind of informs their analysis when they find the bad line or whatever. But Anand and uh, Muzichuk, they they don't have an engine. And he actually predicted this. I just watched a clip a couple of minutes ago. And uh, I thought that was really, really interesting um, that he was kind of worried about it. Nepo, I mean... There's so much that can be said about this move um, because I, I, people I've talked to about this game kind of disagree with me on this, but I actually think that Nepo's strategy was good in this game. Uh, to just kind of try to rush Magnus into time trouble, knowing that throughout the match, Magnus has been taking more time generally, even in his own preparation. Um, that's one of Nepo's strengths. And I'm sure that was part of the strategy to just try to like put a lot of pressure in that way and hope that Magnus makes mistakes because of course in game six, Magnus did make a big mistake. Nepo could have been completely winning, but he missed his chance. Um, that's how chess goes, I guess. Um, and instead, he went too fast when he really had plenty of time and uh, just missed uh, that he his own bishop was trapped on b7. So Magnus played c6 after a couple of minutes, um, and he took about three minutes. He kind of looked disgusted. And Nepo, he literally got there, made the move, made some little face and left because Nepo throughout this match um, has been sitting in a waiting room I don't know if that's his strategy just to kind of not be at the board he, he said that there's like a like a, a screen with the with the moves and a sofa so he likes to look at that board instead uh, maybe it's from the pandemic and doing so much analysis on the computer but I think that it's it's been a little too much like a lot of people have criticized you know the the chair championship is what people have called it, the world chair championship because even Magnus has been away from the board a lot more than he used to be although in this game I think he was at the board of the three hours and 40 minutes he was there for over three hours which is and Nepo was there for a little over an hour so Nepo spent most of the game sitting in the waiting room now I don't want to psychoanalyze Nepo because I'm not in his shoes um, is it a confidence thing? Maybe. I don't really know. Um, could it just be a thing about comfort? Maybe there's a sofa's nice. It's surely better than... I mean, I'm sure the chairs that they have are wonderful. Not that I've sat in a World Chess Championship chair before. Although I have sat at a World Chess Championship desk before because... Um, or table. Because at the Marshall Chess Club, they have the table from the 2016 World Championship. And if you're on board one in the upstairs, then you can use that table. So I've sat there because, you know, I'm really good at chess. I've played board one. You know, not to brag or anything. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, let's not get too distracted uh, about what's happening here. So Nepo blundered big time. And this is after, you know, game six was a, was a disaster. Uh, actually, Nepo played phenomenally in game six. He just, he got grinded down um, like flour in a mill. You know, that's not really his fault. That's just the Magnus effect. Game 8 was just, uh, you know, bad judgment. and uh, But this was just, uh, like, uh, you know, not to shame, like, ELO shame, but this is something that, like, a 1,400, that's a mistake a 1,400 would make, and not on a World Chess Championship. So, 
something's gone awry psychologically um, for Nepo. And, uh, I mean, to his credit, he put up a really good fight after blundering the piece. I mean, Magnus had to find a couple of only moves. And, uh, you know, Hikaru actually, he did something on his stream when I, I was, like, bouncing back and forth. Um, where he actually tried to, like, see if the engine could could beat him um, with the white pieces. Like, so he was holding Magnus' position. And I think he, he ended up... Uh, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched because I was like switching back and forth again. But he, but the, I mean, the engine thirty eight hundred was was like doing a good job. I think Hikaru was still able to weasel it out. But the point is that you know, Magnus did have, still have to play precisely, even down a piece. Like there's this past a pawn that Nepo had that could have been really dangerous. But you know, Magnus is Magnus, and he did what he had to do. And a lot of um, commentators and grandmasters on Twitter were especially um, applauding this one move towards the end of the game, where he played knight takes g3 on move 36. Uh, only three moves to time control. There's this dangerous passed pawn, and, you know, um, there is a hanging pawn, but uh, Magnus basically calculated precisely with, like, seven minutes. He calculated everything he needed to calculate. He took a pawn, brought another piece away from the, the dangerous passed pawn, and calculated very precisely, found exactly what he had to do, and um, he ended up winning. Uh, right at about time control, Nepa resigned. And yeah, I mean, so like I said before, Nepo coming into this, he needed three points. He had a bestie fly in for him. He had um, his man bun shaved off, and uh, he ended up losing. Um, I don't know. I think it's mostly just psychological at this point. I think that game six really broke him. Um, you know, to, to, to go eight hours and uh, and to lose... I mean, at that point, maybe you just are aware that your opponent is better than you. I talked about this a little bit with um, with international master Greg Shahadi. You can check that episode. It was released yesterday. Um, and he said basically the, exactly what I'm saying now, that, you know, when you know that your opponent is better than you, it's really hard to, like, win that. Um, I mean, on the other hand, the preparation was good. Again, I think the strategy was good. Nepo just simply blundered. Um and it's kind of a shame because I really think that, you know, the first five games, Nepo really did look like a worthy, worthy challenger. His opening ideas were, were great. You know, his preparation was better than Magnus's um, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and yet, you know, Magnus is just the better player. Like you said, it's very clear. Um, this is going to be the most lopsided world championship since, like, Carlson Anand in 2013. And, you know, by then, Vichy was already basically out of his prime. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it... it you know, Greg on, on the episode yesterday said we shouldn't feel bad for Nepo. To an extent, I agree. You know, he is a professional. I don't think that there really is a point in, like, feeling bad about, like, the press conference questions and stuff because I'm sure Nepo is used to, like, stupid press conference questions like most athletes. But I do think that I what I do feel bad for him is, like, it's one thing to lose a World Chess Championship, but it's another thing to lose it like this. You know, on basically the biggest stage that, like, the championship has had since maybe the late 80s, early 90s. I don't think this many people worldwide have been this interested in chess. And now you're going to be losing this badly. Um, well, What's going to happen to his career in terms of, the you know, the support he'll get from Russia? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know the political situation in the Russian Chess Federation, but I can't imagine them being as supportive as if you put up a good fight like Karyakin. You know, they may be looking for the next guy to go for Carlson. Everyone knows the Russians want to have the World Championship again uh, very badly. 
this pesky Norwegian refuses to give it to them. Um, and, you know, they've, they've put a ton of resources into Nepo over the last two years. And, and not only is it not going to pan out, but it's also resulting in, in this disastrous way to lose it. So in that sense, I really feel for him because you usually only get one shot to be a champion. And um, unless you're Anatoly Karpov trying to get your title back, I mean, he got five tries, basically. Um, but uh, even more, actually. Yeah. But if you're Nepo, I mean, this might be your only shot, because now in the candidates you have, like, Karyakin is going to be in there, Feruja, Karwana. You know, they, they, these are all guys who I think have a really, really good chance at winning the candidates and going back at it with Magnus and... Um, you know, you may never have that shot that you got again. And so it's not even like he lost game six and then put up a good fight. I mean, the, the match is over. Um, we can go talk a little bit about game 10. Game 10 was another Petrov. Um, it's a little quirky line uh, by Magnus, and uh, but in the end, uh, ended up being a quiet draw. There really isn't that much to talk about. Pawn structure is very similar. Towards the end, Magnus made some little pesky, pesky moves, going for little tricks, but of course... Somewhat of Nepo's caliber, you know, 2,700 plus, close to 2,800, world number four, uh, is not going to fall for that. And so, basically, game 10 was a very quiet draw. Magnus now, he is basically two draws or one win away from the title. Nepomniachi now, if he wants to go to tie breaks, he needs to score three and a half out of four, uh, which is three wins and one draw in the next four games. I'd be willing to say that that's impossible um, yes, impossible. I don't think, I think the only way that happens is if Magnus, like, the only way that he gets any sort of thing is if Magnus gets, like, really sick and plays, like, a 2000, like, that's just not gonna happen. You know, Magnus is in excellent shape, and he's, uh, he's just in a great position. Magnus also can find plenty of, I'm sure he and his team are looking for very drawish lines and basically any opening that, uh, Nepo can throw at him. So it looks like Magnus is going to be a 10-year reigning world champion if everything goes according to plan going into the 2023 World Chess Championship. Um, I mean, I'm still going to do these recaps. What to expect for the rest of the match? I think uh, Nepo probably tomorrow is going to throw the kitchen sink at Magnus. Some crazy opening. I mean, even the C4 stuff wasn't enough. I think, you know, I think if Nepo is going to go out, he should at least go out in style. Give us a King's Gambit. Give us... Give, give us something crazy like that. Go, go, just, just play some insane line. And if it doesn't work, then you just give applause to your opponent. You have nothing to lose at this point. If you're successful and you just complicate things that crazily, then you get another shot with black and you just try the same strategy again. I, I mean, at this point, he has nothing else to go for. Um, even I don't think something like the Sicilian is going to cut it because, again, Magnus can just play like the Alapin or whatever and, uh, and just dry it up. So... Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I guess actually he can't play the Alapin, right? Because, uh, well, I guess, what I mean is like in game 12, Magnus with the white pieces could play like the Alapin. But um, yeah, Nepo is going to need to come up with something crazy. Um, he's going to need to play some insane openings. Or alternatively, he can just go for two quick draws and just try to, you know, at least get some confidence that he's playing good chess. Like, that's what I think game 10 was. Game 10 was just a normal Grandmaster game, you know, playing at a very strong level after like, Three like after two games lost by one move blunders and and a really really hard earned victory by Magnus. I mean I think he kind of needed a game like this just to stabilize psychologically. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of narratives of the match, Magnus is going to win convincingly. This is going to easily be his most convincing championship win. He has a performance rating, I think, of 2,900 right now um, as of game 10, I'm pretty sure, or very close to it. Uh, Magnus looks fantastic. If anybody was was curious, maybe it was Magnus in a little bit of a decline because, you know, he didn't win the World Cup and all this other stuff. Well, um, seems like he was just preparing a lot for... Um, yeah, it seems like he was preparing a ton for, for, for this match. Very typical for, in a championship year, the champion to be a little weaker. Um, and now we see why. I mean, he, Magnus has looked phenomenal. He's in amazing shape. He knows that the title is the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. And, uh, yeah, he's going to defend it at this point. And I guess uh, there's a lot for the chess world to look forward to. I think the, the Grand Prix is going to be a really interesting event. I previewed that on my episode with Greg Shahadi. You can go check that out. Talked a little bit about... Um, how hard it is to win those kind of tournaments and, you know, who's going to be participating. I'm personally rooting for Nakamura to get one last chance at the candidates because I'm a big Naka fan. And um, I think it would be cool if he silenced some of his haters who said that, uh, you know, he, he can't play classical anymore. He can't hang with the best of them. So I really hope he gets one last chance. I mean, I, I know his record in classical against Magnus is just dreadful. And Magnus really has like a, Magnus has Hikaru's number psychologically, but I still think it would be really, really good. Um, it would be really awesome for the chess world too if Nakamura got like into the world championship again. I mean, not again, but if he got into the world chess championship and you know made the candidates again, I should say. I think that would be really cool. Um, so I guess we have to wait and see. You know, uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's been an exciting match for the most part. I do regret a little bit the way that um, I don't know. I I do regret like seeing. I mean, regret's the wrong word, but. It, it is painful to see uh, Nepo in the situation. I mean, we've all been in his shoes if you've played OTB and, you know, you, you have a decent position or you have an equal position or some a position with a lot of play, whatever it is, you know, and one move later you completely blunder, you immediately notice your blunder and then you're just kind of sitting at the table, you just want it to stop, you're praying, but it's too easy for your opponent to just, you know, punish you and, and win the game. I mean, that's that's like one of the worst feelings in the world. And, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that is a psychological burden of chess. There's this uh, blog post written by uh, JJ Lang, um, who I've had on my podcast uh, recently, about, like, the psychological stress of chess and whatnot. And it was very well written. And I think that, that aspect I definitely understand regarding... Um, you know, how, how, why people should feel bad for Nepo or kind of like the schadenfreude of seeing him in pain and people kind of being like, oh man, oh, this is that horrible, almost like a kind of pleasure in of itself. Um, I get that. But on the other hand, I mean, this is the World Chess Championship. Magnus has said himself, he has no sympathy for Nepo right now, even though, you know, they're kind of buddies. Uh, I'm sure, you know, when this is all over and Magnus will send him a nice text being like, you know, good job, like good try and Maybe we'll run it back, but until then, you know, Magnus is just going to be ruthless. Actually, there's a really funny story by Levon Aronian on the Chess.com broadcast about how Magnus, before being um, coached by Kasparov, was like the most talkative and friendly person on the chess scene in like, uh, you know, true Norwegian fashion. You know, just a very lovely, pleasant person. I was always trying to like learn and, you know, interact with people. And once he, once he started taking lessons with Kasparov, I guess Kasparov must have taught him how to be like a stone-cold killer and like that's what he needs to be a champion. That's something that Levon doesn't really have, actually. Levon seems to be 
you know, buddies with a lot of people in the chess world, which is good. But when you're a champion, you got to be like, you know, Kobe or Jordan. You got to have no friends and, and you got to like just because you're a competitor, you can't have any weak spots. So that was kind of an interesting thing. And uh, I think that kind of contextualizes people are always asking. I mean, the press conferences, like I'll say, they've con- t- they've continued to be horrible. I mean, just dreadful questions. I'm not talking about the ones that are like where journalists are asking questions just to get their quotes for their blog posts and articles and TV interviews, or whatever. I'm talking about the ones that are just like, you know, like, like, why do you use the word absurd or, you know, what's your legacy, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that's, that's just disaster. So I don't know. Um, that's where we are after game 10. Uh, game 11 is going to be tomorrow. Uh, I'm curious what Nepo is going to be doing with the white pieces and um yeah i mean a draw is just magnus is basically if there's a draw on game 11 then game 12 is going to be a very quick draw and uh, otherwise you know nepo is just going to try to keep going and keep going and keep going but you know honestly i would rather see him like fizzle out in great style and just just you know put up like a be like samson with the temple <laughs> crumbling on him you know now he's also like uh cut his hair uh blah 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 uh, so yeah, that's my recap. Um, I'm actually going to be on the Chess Pit podcast. I think it's a live stream. I don't know if they recorded. If they have, you can go check that out. Go check them out. They're a really good listen. Um, I've been a fan of theirs for a while. I'm excited to be on their show. So um, I don't know if it's going to be a... Uh, like I, I know it's live streamed. I'm not sure if they, they, they publish those after. Um, but in any case, if it's possible to check that out, go check that out. Give, give them a follow. Um, I want to just thank uh, Aim Chess as always. Uh, for sponsoring me, you can use code David30 to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess. Go check them out. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, if you like listening to me ramble about chess or interview people while rambling about chess, you can uh, check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash 64podcasts. The link is in the description. Um, is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, happy holidays. It's uh, I'm going home for the holidays, going back to New York for 10 days. So probably not going to record anything then. Um, that's going to be like the 14th to the 24th. Probably won't be recording anything. Um, so I'll just wish you guys, cause I don't know, this may be my last, I'm pretty sure this is actually going to be, well, aside from the, the recaps, but this is probably going to be my last uh, podcast episode after the recaps until probably January. So, uh, yeah, happy holidays. I'll probably wish you guys a happy holidays again. And, um, until next time, until the next recap, I suppose, uh, take it easy and, uh, have a good day. Uh, and I hope, uh, you enjoyed listening to, uh, this edition of a 64 chess podcast. So thank you and, uh, see you next time.